having an impact on people's life is important to me. And, and I want to be able to do that. The next phase of our life is going to be different. It's not about having a hit. It's not about getting a Grammy. It's about making a difference. I'm finding ways that I can plug in and do things for people. And I just want to give back. I want to be able to help anyone that I can and create something that is bigger than, than anything that I could ever imagine. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, my friend. Today is a fun conversation with a man who you may have never heard of, but I almost guarantee that you've heard his work. He has worked as a songwriter and producer with the likes of Ronnie Millsap, Amy Grant, Steve Camp, BB and CC Winans, Vanessa Williams. Well, you get the idea. Keith Thomas has invested a lot of time and energy in helping people be the best versions of themselves, and he's been quite successful at it. As I've recently explored what it means to live in community, I've been struck by the number of folks who talk about investing in other people. That might be as a vocal coach or a producer. It might be as a mentor or an encourager. However you color it, taking an active role in people around us is part of what draws us together and makes us a better community. So today, we're going to hear stories from Keith about how he has benefited from people investing in him. We're also going to hear how, now that he's investing in others, what that looks like, and I think you're really going to enjoy this exchange. According to the World Health Organization, over 750 million people do not have access to clean water. In South Asia, where Mercy Inc. is working, The water that is available is contaminated with arsenic, making it a poisonous concoction that causes people to get sick and sometimes die. So Mercy Inc. and their partners are drilling deep wells to make sure that there's safe, clean water available to the community. Many of these wells are installed in mostly Muslim villages. The wells are painted blue and have the name Jesus Wells emblazoned on them, and they really stand out. As the wells are installed and maintained, The message of Jesus is being shared, and people are learning about the living water of Christ as they receive the clean water that they need for life, health, and safety. According to Mercy Inc.'s statistics, nearly 300 people make a personal decision for Christ at each of these wells. Would you like to learn more about the Jesus Wells Project? Head over to christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy, and you can help provide living water in addition to clean, safe drinking water. Well, every week I open our podcast conversation by saying that we're talking with the people who are listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. Most of the time, that means I'm talking to a singer or a performer. But today, we're going to jump into the control room and chat with Keith Thomas. Keith has production and songwriting credits on so many albums, I couldn't list them all here in an hour. Uh, artists like B.B. and C.C. Winans, Amy Grant, Kathy Tricoli, as well as mainstream artists like Vanessa Williams, 98 Degrees, Jessica Simpson, and tons more. 
This is going to be a lot of fun looking behind the scenes in music. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, Keith Thomas. Welcome, Keith. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Yeah. So good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. You know, your production credit list I was perusing before. I mean, that is a huge list. You've got songwriting, arrangements, keyboards. When you're in an elevator and you're introducing yourself to somebody, what do you say you do? <laughs> I try to hide. I don't really do that. <laughs> I don't have an elevator pitch. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, look, I, I just, uh, I've been blessed. Are you, are you kidding? I, I um, you know, I, I have, I, I say that honestly, I've been blessed. I've been in a lot of good places at the right time. But, uh, you know, I've worked hard over the years, too. My yeah. dad was uh, a hillbilly musician that, that wanted somebody in the family to finally move to Nashville and, <laughs> and make it. And not that I've made it, but I'm still hunting it. But um, that that was the that was the thing, you know. I'm living his dream. And, oh, fun! And, and, and that feels really good, you know. Well, do you have a favorite role of all of those hats that you wear? I noticed you have a tall hat rack in the back with about 57 hats on it. So, <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, well, look, I I love um, you know I love taking a new artist and and finding out what makes them tick and and how to how to make the most out of that, how to get the most out of them. Yeah. Um, I you know I over the years. Um, I, I, I've gotten known, I guess, or, or more known in the circles of like vocal coaching. And that's, that's okay. kind of one of my specialties, I think. And, you know, I just love that because, you know, look, I, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to oh. move to New York. I had an opportunity to go to New York and, uh, and act. And my dad was a primitive Baptist preacher and he went to one of the rehearsals with me and he said, no, you're not going to New York. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so here I am doing music, but what I did learn, you know, through all of that was, at least how to tap into that creative side. And I, I still use some of that stuff that I learned back then yeah. uh, in, in the music side. Well, you talked about, uh, and I want to get to the little bit about your growing up years eventually, but really what I read somewhere is that you were discovered by Ronnie Millsap. Is that true? Well, I'll tell you the story. That is true. And you know what? It's so funny how life just kind of circles back around. Um, I've re recently reconnected with him and, and Rob Galbraith, the actual the person that signed me. Uh, but yeah, I, I was, um, I was on the road with a group called the Sherrett brothers for a while. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they were on word records. Yeah. And when I got off, I, I had started to, to write then. So I I'd written two songs that I thought sounded like Ronnie and Ronnie was playing in Atlanta at one of the venues there. And look, this would never happen today, mm. but I actually called the venue where he was playing uh -huh. and I spoke to his brother-in-law. And he says, yeah, just send your songs to Rob Galbraith in Nashville. And sure enough, I, I did a little demo on my roads and sent them up there. Oh, no totally forgot, I forgot about it. And then about three <laughs> months later, I get a call from Rob and, and I'd signed it, Brian Keith Thomas. Okay. And uh, he said, hey, Brian, this is uh, Rob Galbraith from Ronnie Millsap. He said, I, I, I threw your songs or you threw, I threw your cassette in the trash, but something <laughs> made me get it out. And I, I love these songs. Would you come to Nashville? And no so kidding. I, that weekend... I drove to Nashville, did the demos, and while I was in Nashville, they said, we're starting a publishing company. Would you be our first staff writer? And I said, absolutely. And so that's what moved me to Nashville. No, and it was all just on this hunch that you threw a cassette or called yes. the venue. I called the venue and spoke to his brother-in-law. That's, you know. And so fast forward all these years, I managed Layla Tucker, Tanya Tucker's daughter. Uh -huh. And so I was doing an interview with her uh, early on. This is about two years ago, three years ago. Uh, two years ago. And, you know, I was just kind of getting ideas about, you know, who her inspiration was sure. who her, um, you know, people that she had grown up listening to. And she said, well, my idol is Ronnie Millsap. I'm in love with Ronnie Millsap. I said, 
well, you don't know my story, do you? And she said, no. And so I began to tell her about that and she freaked out. So quietly, I reconnected with Ronnie, put together a, an introduction so that she went over to his house and met him and that sort of thing. So that was such a great Oh, that's fun. To do that. yeah, that's... yeah, that was so much fun. Well, you yeah. you landed in Nashville then to do help Ronnie and their production company, but then you eventually went to Word Records, right? And you signed with Word as a staff writer, was it? Uh, well, yeah, I, I signed as a staff writer and producer okay. about a year and a half after I left Ronnie or was with Ronnie. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I was, um, you know, I was at Word for about seven years, I guess it was. And, you know, we had a lot of success there. We, we uh, that's kind of where I, I mean, I say I learned to produce at Ronnie's studio because Ronnie gave me his studio when he was on the road. So I would sit in there for hours on end, you know, uh, learning to produce. But when I went to Word, I, um, you know, I, I was like, I, mean, I remember Neil Joseph coming to me saying, uh, I've got this new artist. We're not sure he's on his third record. We're not sure if he's going to be around, you know, uh, on this next album. But we love for you to do this record. Yeah. It was Steve Camp. Oh, just and, some uh, nobody. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Of Steve Camp, holy crow. And so we did uh, the, uh, the, the, what was the name of that song? Run to the Battle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a long time ago. Anyway, yeah. so that, that was six months, number one. And I was like, holy crow, this is, I can do this, you know? And so, uh, you know, that started that whole thing with me. And then it came Kenny Marks. And then I started working with, uh, with Amy and a lot of different other artists that I, you know, like I said, I've been blessed. I've, yeah. I was right in the middle of that time when word had a big run and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. So were your solo instrumental albums, was that in that same time period? It was. Well, when I got to Word, uh, Neil said, hey, we have some uh, extra studio time left over down at Goldmine Studios. You want to go down and play? So I did. You know, I took my uh, some of my musician friends down and we just, you know, I'd written some songs. Yeah. And so we went down and got the album. I think we spent maybe total five thousand dollars on the whole project. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and look, it it. it it didn't sell like like I had hoped it would, sure. but it did it did uh, it did turn a few heads at the time. And you know what? I still get requests for those projects. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful for those. And uh, you know, we had so much fun doing it though. It was just something different at the time. And, yeah. You know, jazz and Christian music. You know. Who, yeah. The, who who, who else was doing it? Koinonia was about the only other group that was doing that, right? Yeah, Fletch Wiley was oh, doing yeah, some Fletch. stuff. As well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I never forget the first time I walked into my Christian bookstore, I, I had a real good relationship with the Christian bookstore owner, and he was always pitching me stuff and saying, hey, this is new, check this out. And he he tossed me um, Instrumental Appetite, and oh, wow. I loved the artwork. It was just crazy. And then you flip it over. So for the listener, the cover is a plate that has like a cake that's got keyboard on it, and right. and Keith plays keyboard. Well, you go to the back, and the cake is half eaten. <laughs> right much well you know what that's the only thing that won an award is the cover <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know why the music is great i'd love the music uh, uh, i mean I, I i've listened to it uh not too long ago and, and you know it still holds up for, it does. for what it is yeah you know well you talked about you know producing steve and then kenny marks and then eventually working with amy now you kind of worked with Amy, right? As she was kind of doing what the industry was calling crossing over at that time. Was that the goal of your work with her or was it just, let's make the next album? Well, I mean, for me, I, um, I was at word for about seven years, like I said, mm -hmm. and I, I knew I was leaving and, and this is kind of where, um, 
BB and CC come into the picture. I knew okay. I was leaving. So I was going to do the instrumental appetite. You'll see that BB Winans and Greg Didby and Donna McElroy are featured vocalists on there. I put them on there, especially so I could get them, particularly so I could get them a deal. Uh -huh. And uh, and BB, actually, we got a deal at Sparrow because yeah. of that song, It's Only Natural. And from that, uh, Amy and I, I had written a song and I, you know, basically just had the hook, Baby Baby, and mm -hmm. a few other lines throughout. And I played it for her and she loved it. And so that became my first crossover because I wanted to go make pop records. You sure. know, I just wanted to, I wanted a bigger platform. And, um, and that was her big crossover song, you know. I had worked as a, as a programmer and a keyboard player on her um, what was the last was the album before baby baby was the big one uh the big christian record that i can't remember the title of it now um but anyway i had worked on that and that developed that relationship with her and so uh when she cut this song it was like this was like the ticket over to the pop world and i had already like i said i'd, I'd worked with bb and cc uh we got them signed to, to sparrow capital and um you know and a lot of that work kind of brought in vanessa williams because mm -hmm. they heard you know, the, the stuff that I'd done with them. So that that's when I started kind of to move over toward pop music. And um, it was, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I really wanted to do and something I was chasing. And I had a few Christian friends or a few Christian artists that thought I was selling out just like they did for mm. oh, me, sure. you know. Yeah. But I just go, I, I just felt like I, I needed a bigger platform. And um, I'm so glad I did. You know, yeah. I, was, I was, you know, throughout the 90s, I ended up signing to Sony early 90s that lasted, um, gosh, a decade yeah. and, um, you know, had a great run there with, with Sony. Well, you talked about briefly about your dad being a hillbilly pastor and he had a small group and you were, and this is kind of where you got your seed in music, right? Because dad was, had his group and, uh, but I'm also, this is where you were introduced to your faith in Christ. I love hearing people's testimony about where was it that Jesus became your decision. It, this is my decision, not I'm singing in dad's group and he's a pastor and I better, you know, show up on Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I'll start from the beginning. My dad um, was a hillbilly musician uh, who got saved and, and became the music minister at our church, which was directly across the street. Okay. And uh, so we were in church, you know, every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, and especially through all the revivals and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was, it, was a, it was a bit of a primitive Baptist church too. There, there were mm -hmm. feet washing and the whole bit, right? And um, I, I, would, I remember I was probably seven or eight years old when I um, got saved. And I, and I remember going down, but I also remember you know, standing in church playing and singing. Um, and my dad would put the guitar in a chair next to me because it was way bigger than I was. Oh, and I would okay. stand and play and sing, you know? And then when uh, I turned nine, we made the, my first record, which was um, an, an EP. And I was a big fan of, uh, you may have remember Steve Sanders back in the day. Oh, sure. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. So I was a big fan of Steve Sanders. And so, um, you know, we had four songs on that. And then again, when I was 13, we made another album. We made a full album at that point. Okay. But uh, we traveled around the Southeast at different churches and then using that sort of thing and played and sang. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where, I was raised in the church. I mean, literally, I, right. there was not a service that I I didn't miss any you know church services. And if the doors did, open, you know, you're there. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for anything. We were, I mean, like we were poor, so poor. We didn't have running water, hot running water, or mm. an inside bathroom. You yeah. know, and I, I you know, I tell that story all the time. Where you know, I, 
go out on the porch and draw wall, uh, well water, yeah. you might get a snake or you might get a, or, or a frog, you know, you pull it up, you never know which one you're going to get. But, um, you know, I, 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 like I said, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So where, but where was it that, cause you know, like I, I'm have a similar story. I'm MK PK born, raised. Um, but there had to be a point where you said, okay, this relationship with Jesus is something that means something to me personally. You remember right. when that took place? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a, I was a youngster. I mean, I was like I was it was like I said, it was around seven or eight years old when when I felt like this is something that I that really connected with me. And I just go, I gave my life to God, and I told you know, it's like it's like from there on, that's all I've ever known. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Okay. It's like, um, yeah. So it's it it became my life. It became my lifestyle. And to this day, you know, throughout even my pop career. I've been in the executives' offices so many times, and they will swear and they'll say they'll look at me and they'll apologize. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, and sometimes you know it's like you know it's like you just brush it off, but that's that's a level of respect that they yeah. have for me, you know. And I, I appreciate that. The idea of growing up in a church, um, you know, it has its, it has its good things and bad things. It's just like I, I want I don't want to. I exclude anyone, but at the same time, you know, look, I, I live my life. Um, I look at my dad, you know, I look at his life and he, he was a prince. He really, he really was. And, and he loved God and he would give you the shirt off his back. And that's kind of what I've, I've always, you know, said I would do, you know, it's like, it's who I want to be. I, I love my father and I love, I want to be more like him. And anyway, so all of this, and he was just a, such a good man and he lived it in front of me. Yeah. Know? So it sounds like your faith and your music were in, intertwined right from the beginning. Completely. And so it's really, it's no different than what you're doing now and and talking about the importance of faith. As you said, in the mainstream, there's still a place for it. And I was talking with Tommy Prophet a little while ago, and he was talking about the fact that just like you, in a corporate boardroom and somebody swears or in a studio and somebody, oh, but, oh, oh so-and-so is here, we got to you know, apologize how how have you seen your your personal faith impact a mainstream society do you have examples i mean you don't have to name drop but have you seen examples of where people say oh there's something to this keith guy what is it that he's got and i need part of that well not so much directly like that but i do know that there's a level of respect that I've had with many artists over the years. And I don't wear my religion on my sleeve, you know, it's like, um, but I just, I've had so many artists come through the, and just the appreciation um, that, that I feel from them, just being considerate to them. And, and I don't know, I just, I, I, I something, that's something I've always talked about. Um, but it's like, um, I know that, the, a lot of the people that I've worked with over the years have um, respected where I stand on all of this. And, and so, you know, I just try to be the best person I can be and, and live what I know to be um, what God wants me to be doing. And yeah. I, and I go there, there's a part of me, I will tell you that after having gone down the, the pop music road, I, I look back and I go, the, the thing that I loved most about the Christian music side of things is that I would get, I would get, emails or not emails, but I would get letters from people saying this song changed my life. I don't get that mm. with the pop stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, even though I get a lot of people saying, Oh, I love this song. You know, it was, I, you know, that sort of thing, but you know, 
having an impact on people's life is important to me. And, and I want to be able to do that. And, and Amy Grant and I were talking not long ago, and we both agreed and we basically said the same thing. The next phase of our life is going to be different. It's not about having a hit. It's not about getting a Grammy. It's about making a difference. Yeah. And she is definitely making a difference. And I, and I, I'm, I'm finding ways that I can plug in and do things for people. And I just want to give back. I want to be able to help anyone that I can and create something that, um, is bigger than, than anything that I could ever imagine. What I appreciate about what you said is, you know, a lot of times I felt guilty because I'm not a go out and preach the gospel. I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not an evangelist. And I've had a number of people tell me, yeah, but you've got a lifestyle that you live. It's called lifestyle evangelism. And for people around us to say, oh, I recognize that you're different, that says something about the way you're living and you're acting. And then to make this, you know, we're both after after 50. <laughs> we're looking at what does life look like now? How do we change? And I was talking with our senior pastor a little bit ago, and he was saying, you know, I'm I'm beyond the accolades. You can tell me I'm great. Yeah, sure, it feels good. But that's not why I do this anymore. It's the whole, how do I invest in the people right. around me? That's 100% it. Yeah, I'm working with a Canadian artist right now who I adore. Um, she's been here from Canada for about two years. And, and um, you know, uh, she's just a sweetheart, but it's like, you know, she has told me on many occasions, you're such a good man. Those, those words I love to hear, mm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's, so it's just like uh, treating people with respect and kindness and um, helping them find their voice yeah. in this, especially today with, with Ugh. the industry uh, is just a completely different music business, you yeah. know, oh. and uh, you have to be a marketer, you have to be <laughs> a singer, <laughs> I mean, all these things. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's just good to be able to help people and, um, it's like I said, it's a completely different business. So we're we're all in this together now, trying to figure this out. Well, it's kind of interesting. You automatically morphed this way. My next question was: as a behind-the-scenes guy, you've seen a lot of changes in the music business, the music technology, the industry. Uh, I'm sure there's good and bad of that change. Uh, right. What would you say is maybe your favorite thing about the way music industry, the music business, whatever you want to call it, has changed? And then let's talk about one of those things that you're going, man, it'd be nice to go back to yesteryear and do that again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, to me, the first one is pretty easy. It's that that technology has given uh, people more opportunity. It's leveled the playing field a little bit, you know, so that um, I'll give you an example. Back in the day, um, your mixing console would be $600,000 or more. Mm, you yeah. know, your tape machines like the Sony 3348 that, that we did save the best for last on, that was what. $80,000 or $180,000. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we had the Sinclair beer for $125,000. I mean, yep. you know, it's like I was strapped because yeah. I was trying to compete. Right. But now you can buy Logic Pro for 200 bucks and it kills mm. the Sinclair beer. Right. Mm. So this this technology has opened the door for so many people. And and to that end, you're seeing so many more uh, artists come out and and be able to do what they want to do. And I'm seeing some great talent, especially like, I, you know, I'm on TikTok a lot and I just perused in there seeing a lot of, a lot of youngsters are actually beginning to play their instruments again. And I, and I love seeing Thank that. Goodness. The, um, I know, right. That's, that's it for me. It's like, um, and, and look, I love technology. I've always been on the front end of it. I, I am fascinated with it. And I love, I love putting, things in front of me that I don't understand, figuring it out is part of the creative process. You know, it's like I I have a couple of different things in my programming room that make me think differently when I'm programming Mm. or when I'm creating. And, and so uh, to that end, it's like, 
I like seeing these young kids actually begin to play real instruments yeah. and, I, and I, that makes me happy. But the downside to all of that is that there's so many people doing it mm. that it's hard to get traction, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and there's so many other forms of entertainment now. Yeah. The video, the video side of things has become uh, really dominant. And so if you don't have a video with what you're doing, it's not getting traction. And, you know, it's just, like I said, it, it's so crowded out there. Um, and so that's that's the downside if you, if you if you have a downside to this. So let's talk a little bit about if you're a, if you're an up and coming artist. I mean, because you're going to get this question all the time in the circles that you run in, and you a you don't have the money, you don't have the equipment, but you've got some of these things that you can do. There's a million and one people, like you said, out there doing the thing. How do you rise to the top in this crowded landscape? I mean, you yes, you have still some record labels that are spending some big bucks on the people that are the big flavor of the month. Right. But it seems like the the YouTube stars, the TikTok stars, how do you, how do you make that inroad to to get people to say, "Oh, this is good music?" Well, I mean, I, first of all, I think it's all about work ethic. I mean, okay. when you look at TikTok, uh, and this is just a this is a known factor that if you're not doing three videos a day, you're not really hitting the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And there's certain other other things that that play into that as well, but to do three TikToks a day takes a lot of effort, yeah. you know? And so, um, and, and then just learning to play your instrument and learning to write, all those things take so much time. And I, and, and that's, the, that's the, the line for me. I see a lot of the artists and I've had a few of them that don't do the work. Mm. Um, they, for some reason, it's just not, I mean, for me growing up, I would play piano literally, and this is no exaggeration, eight hours a day. Mm, and I yeah. have, a, and I tell this story a lot, is that my mom would bring a plate of fried chicken and lay it on top of the piano and walk out. But that's how committed I was. I, and it wasn't even that I was committed. I couldn't help myself. Mm. It was just, I had to be playing. I had to, I had a drum set. I had a bass. I had a steel guitar. I had a four track TAC player <laughs> and I had my piano. Yeah. So I was yeah. making music all the time. Yeah. And I did that. You know, I didn't really start playing piano until I was 16 years old. So all that became, you know, I was like playing guitar and bass and all that stuff early on, but it's like the music, I was obsessed with it and I had to be doing it. And so when I see some, some, uh, a younger person now that's obsessed like that, I, I pay attention because typically it's the hours that you put in to me, that's, what's important, you know, because that'll, that will yield success down the road if you're consistent with that. And so I look at that as a, an important factor. Out here in Oregon, we're struggling. I think all the way across the country, we're struggling finding people who will stick with a job. Right. And you know, your your restaurants are are not open long hours, not because of the pandemic, but because they can't find help. Right. And right. And that gets back to what you were saying. That work ethic. We've kind of lost that as a society of saying, "I'm going to put my nose down, put my nose to the grindstone, and and work and be better and learn and be a productive member." It's all about I got to make it about me and not about how we plug into other people. Right. And I think that for me, that's the biggest downfall, except for maybe the fact that uh, music is programmed instead of played. Um, right. <laughs> but to me, that's one of the biggest downfalls is we've lost that connection because now it's all, I just got to focus on how am I going to make my TikTok video instead of rather saying, how do we build a community? Because there's strength in that community. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. why, why did, why is it that we always had producers and engineers and all these people who had specialties who spent all their time producing, spent all their time. Now we've got a guy who's playing the guitar, singing, dancing, marketing, you know, all of that at the same time. How can he right. be an expert at any of those? Well, they can't. And that's that's the problem. And I think, you know, it shows 
Um, and I'm not being critical of, of anyone, but, but, you know, I know just even myself, if, if I want to do something and I want to do it great, then it's going to take time. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just still the, that's the way it works. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've entered into a situation too, where the video, there's such a, there's such a need to be a star. There's such a need to be seen and heard. And, and then that goes all the way down the line to people uh, ridiculing people online or, or yeah. doing things online that they know they can get away with because they're online, you know, and it's just being mean. And, and I don't know, it's just like, we've entered in a whole new realm that I've never experienced in my lifetime. You know, I just go, people usually don't say those things to other people, especially if you're in front of them, you won't say that to their face, but you do it online. All that to say is that um, I'm not on social media a lot for a reason. And that's, that's why I just go, I, I, it, it stresses me out. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of these artists would do themselves a favor if they just got quiet and went off and learned to do something great, like play guitar or piano or write a song and then come back into the marketplace. You know, that's, but, but, but there's that narcissist kind of um, <laughs> need to be seen and heard, you know, yeah. and I just don't have that, you know, I don't, I don't really care. So do you think that there's, I mean, you're working with the music of tomorrow with a lot of these people that you're working with. And you mentioned earlier that there's a kind of a trend back to people playing real instruments again. And I'm saying, thank you. Thank you. But right. do you think, do you think that we have people who are, are starting to learn that the art of music is more important than the number of people listening? I work with a few artists that are, that are both ways. Actually, mm -hmm. um, I've got a couple of artists that are, dead set on learning to play their instrument and wanting to write great songs and a couple of others are just they just um it's all about getting their video online tomorrow you know yeah. and it's like and, and and look that's part of the culture you know it's like uh, i i don't know but it's like um it's hard to say i i'm more i'm, I'm old school that way is that you know, if I'm going to play piano, I want to play it better than anybody, Yeah. you know, yeah. and, and I want to know my instrument inside and out. If I buy a new piece of gear, I want to know what that thing does so that I can get the most out of it. Um, and so, you know, I, but I'm still, you know, I'm still, I'm still chasing, you know, whatever's new as well. But, um, and that's, you know, when I, when we talk about the new music, it's like, it's so like, I don't know, you remember the genie organ back in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where we are. I mean, I can sit down at the keyboard right now. And I've thought about doing a parody on this <laughs> where I'm actually playing one finger and I've got a whole track playing. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that yeah. it's gotten down to that. So we're, yeah. that's called drag and drop. You just drag it mm -hmm. to the timeline and then you have a record, you know, and that's nothing. I guess there's nothing wrong with that, except that and I, I was online uh, not long ago and I watched this YouTube tutorial and this kid was showing you how to play this pop song that was that was popular. And and he was playing the bass and, and I was watching his hands and he's actually playing the wrong notes. And so I'm like going, you know, it's like that's one of my beefs is doing tutorials when you're not sure about what you're doing, you know? And so that's kind of the, it's part of our whole culture these days, you yeah. know, it's like getting on there before you're ready. And then the difficulty comes when, you know, people who are really truly making art for the sake of art, well, they can't afford to make a living at it anymore. You know? So how do you, how do you sustain that? It has to be something that's from your heart that art from the heart. Maybe there's somebody said there's something there, but it, because right. that's gotta be the only the only reason that you're doing it because you're not getting paid for it anymore unless you've got those eyeballs 
that's to me, that's where, you know, you have a real artist mm -hmm. uh, when, when, when they will do it for free um, because they, they can't do anything else. That's so they just love music so much. Um, so those are, I mean, that's an important statement. You just said that because it's like, there's not a ton of money in the music business anymore. Right. So you can't do it for the money until you get to billions of streams. And then at that point, you're, you're, you know, a major labels probably involved at some sure. point. Yeah. Well, so then herein lies the dilemma, I would imagine. Here's somebody like yourself who has made a career of helping people craft themselves, make themselves into the best that they can be, right? Right. Well, you have to make a living. Yeah. And if, if the real true artists don't have the finances to do it, and they can't afford to hire a Keith Thomas to produce the album, that doesn't seem like it's a fair thing. I mean, where do we go? It's not. That seems like a dilemma. <laughs> it, it is a major dilemma, and it's and, and, and that has everything to do with the, the business model that's out there right now. When you're talking about streaming, um, it, there's very little money until you get really into millions of streams. Yeah. And so it's like, and, and to get that, it's like, you better you better have a team of people behind you. And, and so it's messed up in that regard. Um, so that my, my encouragement for a young artist or emerging artist is to, you know, you've just got to do what you love and find a way to get your message out. You know, obviously TikTok is the discovery platform right now. Mm. It might be something different next year, right? but um, you know, but that's where people are getting signed. They're going straight to Spotify from, from there. I saw a kid on there last week that I've been following literally for six months or a year that um, he had a, he had a niche. Basically he would take these pop songs and he would say, what if this were R and B? And he would uh, then do his version of that song. Yeah. And they were always great. And then a couple of weeks back, I guess it was, I saw, he said, um, thank you guys for blowing this up. I got signed to Warner Brothers. And so oh, it's like, cool. those are the kind of things that I love. You yeah. know, I love seeing what happened for people. Well, you know, long, you know, I promoted concerts for a lot of years. I wouldn't want to be a concert promoter anymore because, you know, there's just no way to, for me to pay my bills, let alone pay you enough to even buy the ticket to come out, you know? Right. And so yeah. music, music acquisition as a fan has become easier in a way that it's all out there, but where do you find the good stuff and not just the copy and paste stuff? Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, the curators are important, but I, you know, look, I, I don't know. I don't know where it all lands or where it goes from here other than, um, you know, you've got, you know, Spotify, which is a mess right now with all the Joe Rogan yeah. stuff. So who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. Um, I mean, Apple said today they have 800 million users. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. I don't really know. You just keep going and going because you, like you said, at some point you've got to have the ability to, pay producers and engineers and studios and that sort of thing to be able to do it professionally. But it's at the same time, you know, that's why I think you see so, so many artists out there, younger artists that don't know how to do it. Yeah. And it, it sounds, it just sounds like poorly produced, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know the way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not their fault. They, you know, it's look, and I have, I have found seriously the artists that come to me that, usually are the most talented are, are the ones that don't have the funds, you know, mm -hmm. it's just for some, some reason. I don't know why. Well, one of the things uh, before we do every podcast, one of the things you said in our pre-interview was that you're trying to fo uh, future focus is more on how I have a meaningful impact on other lives today, both personally and creatively. And I'm sure that's weighing into this. How do I say yes to the right things to pay my bills, but how do I say yes to help 
mold that new career or mold that new album, what what does that look like for you? I mean, like you said, you have a hard time saying no. Yeah. You have to say no because I'm sure somebody of your stature is probably getting enough offers to do work to keep you busy until the cows come home. So how do you balance that? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the thing is the budgets uh, that we used to have com- are completely different now. Yeah. You know, um, there were six figure budgets back in the day per song. You mm. know, now they are maybe five to ten thousand dollars, maybe twenty five if you're if you're you've got a major label involved. But uh, for me, I started looking years ago when everything started going to video. I started I bought cameras and lights because I've been shooting photography since high school. Okay. So it was it was part of another extension of what I do. So I started being able to get involved in the media side of things, which which is good. I'm glad I did. But, um, you know, I I just have this passion for VR and I think VR has its good and bad sides. It's like everything else. But the thing that excites me about virtual reality is that um, I look at potential for education. I look at the potential for medical mm, and, yeah. and obviously entertainment's a, a, a no brainer there. But um, when you talk about the medical side, I know Disney mapped all their parks in VR. Imagine a kid sitting in the hospital, but can't go and you put the headset on and you're literally experiencing what the other kids yeah. experience. You know, that to me is thrilling. And That's so cool. our, we, we have started a new company that is, is diving into the VR side of things. Okay. And uh, part of that mission is to be able to do some of that stuff. And um, I'm excited about that. I have been working with Facebook um, and I've gone to India two times working with new artists over there. And, and so I've carried my cameras with me, uh, you know, over there. And I've just, you know, I have this goal. I want to do this show that I get to go India, um, Japan, Africa, wherever, and find artists that the labels would never give a shot, you know, mm, and yeah. you develop that artist and you show the development part of that. And that's what I did in India with, with some of these artists there. I've got footage of us in the studio together and how it started and how it came out and all that stuff. And it's like, it's fascinating. I think there's an interest there, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, you're giving opportunities to these people that, that literally can't afford, like we talked about, yeah. can't afford the gear. You know, and so I love that part of it. So you had mentioned just real, real briefly before we pushed record that you'd been to India and you talked about this. I've, I've been very fascinated, especially in the worship industry, um, and I hate calling it a worship industry, but the fact that we have these songs that you go overseas and everybody's singing a Chris Tomlin song or, or whatever. But I've traveled enough times to hear people singing their own songs in their own tongue. And the passion behind those songs is even greater. And so I would imagine as you've traveled and you see people doing the music in their style, in their way, how exciting that must be to find that gem that, like you said, nobody would discover. Right. Yeah. I, we, we, our first trip, um, we auditioned maybe eight to 10 artists. Okay. And from that, we kind of picked, you know, picked four from there. Yeah. But the idea was we created tracks here initially just to get kind of like a jumping off point. We okay. carried tracks over and, and what we were doing for Facebook was more lifestyle. It was okay. like, you might have this hook and then um, the rest of it might be instrumental, but we would sit in the control room with our English, our English hook, and then they would translate it. Okay. And so that's kind of how that, and then we'd get in the studio and record them singing. And it's just fascinating. And then um, a gentleman there that we were working with, um, 
put me on the back of his motorcycle with my camera and I'm riding all over India, you know, Calcutta with my camera shooting in different places that, that, man, I'm just fascinated by the culture. You yeah. know, I love yeah. these people. I love these people. The, the second trip, the day I left on the second trip, uh, two guys got on their knees and kissed my feet, you know, and that's the oh. ultimate respect, yeah. you know, and I'm just like, I, we were, we were all in tears, you know, and I still, on a regular basis connect with these guys over there they'll text me and i'll text them back and it's just we've developed this relationship so you know i wouldn't trade that for anything you know so is this a is this a product that people can see on facebook now is it something that's out there right now or is it in development still or what well it's it's part of their music library if you go okay. to instagram or facebook and say you need a cat video that needs you have a cat video that needs music you right can just, and that's part of the library that we we've been building there okay so is that the same? I noticed Charlie Peacock right now, and he's releasing, it seems like an, a song a day. <laughs> he's prolific, but on the Facebook label, so to speak, I use air quotes. Is that the same right. kind of a thing? Yep. Okay. He's part of that whole program. Absolutely. Yes. That's so very cool. It's fun. Well, you may have just touched on it, but one of the things I love to hear from people is as you look back over your career and you uh, find that moment, I call it a pinch me moment, where you're going, oh my goodness, I can't believe I got to do fill in the blank. And it can either be professionally or personally or, or whatever. Is there something that if you had to look back over your past, let's just say 40 years, we won't say how old you are. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what is it that stands out to you that you go, Oh my gosh, God, you gave me an opportunity that I can't believe. And I still pinch myself when I think about it. Oh boy. I, I honestly, Dave, I've had so many that I would have to sum it up by just going, I have to look at the the whole career, the fact that I got to do this and be involved with so many great people. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and I, and I, this is, I keep repeating myself, but when you're as far into the career as I am, you know, I've been doing this 35 years, you realize at some point that it's not about the Grammy or the hit or whatever. It's mm -hmm. about the relationships, the people. And I have some incredible friends and relationships. They're solid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I know these people love me and I love them. And that's the most important thing because, you know, they're, the, the music business is up and down. You go through hard times and, and I've been through my share and you know who your friends are. Yeah. And, and I do. And so that's to me, that's, that's what I would say that I got to do this. And, and I'm in the music business, which is hard in itself. But when you have... Uh, a support group or you have people that you feel like you can trust and that you feel like they've got your back. Yeah. You know, that's important. So you, you mentioned the fact that the Grammy doesn't matter anymore. The award doesn't matter. Where was it in your thought process that you realized that it's the relationship over the reward? You know, it might've, it might've happened kind of a gradual thing where you, you look at uh, your body of work at some point and you go, wow, I've, I've made so much music, I can't even tell you. And you look back over it and then you start looking at the list of the people that you've been in the studio with. And, and you realize, you know, I've got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of relationships, you know? So I think it's probably more of a gradual thing. I don't think it's anything. One day I woke up and go, I don't care about the Grammys anymore. You know, look, everybody likes to be awarded, yeah. but yeah. that's not why I do it. It's really not. I mean, cause I could go chase that top 40 thing again right now. And it's funny because back in the day, I would do a track and people would say, wow, your music sounds much older than you are. And now they're saying, oh, your music sounds much younger than you are. <laughs> so, you know, I could go chase that top 40 thing, but 
that's not what that's what that doesn't motivate me like that anymore you know i think that that gets back to the heart of the art or the art of the heart whichever way we want to say it and where uh, you know if it happens to bring an an award if it happens to bring notoriety or whatever that's a nice frosting on the cake but the real meat of the thing is what is the art and how is it impacting your community yeah right absolutely so let's talk a little bit we're we're going to flash forward 40 years and somebody's writing your autobiography what do you hope they say about your career uh, as as Keith Thomas, musician, producer, composer, friend, whatever? What do you hope it is that they say, this is who Keith is? Oh, that he was a good man, that he he made music that impacted the world, you know, that that changed lives and that not only entertained, but but it meant something, you know, that's yeah. the thing. And I and I think um, I know from the beginning that was incredibly important you know because of the message obviously but um you know as as i got into the pop side of things i definitely had my limitations on what i would say in a song and uh, and thank god my, my 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 contribution most of the time was musical it's mm-hmm. like um, i'm a metal melody guy so you know i didn't get into the lyric side of things too much i even though i wrote with the artist in the room sure the lyrics sure, stuff, sure. But, all that to say is that uh, yeah, I would just hope that they would, um, you know, look at the music and, the, and it made a difference in their life and that it was at a level that was appreciated, you know, because I, I have worked hard on that end. I've spent the time and the, and the, the energy into doing stuff that, that I, I wanted to last. I mean, to me, when I started making records, my thing was I, I didn't want to make such trendy music that it would be gone. You know, mm. I wanted it to yeah. last. And, and so, and some of the things I listen to, listen to now, I, I look back on and some of the BBCC wine and stuff, it really holds up. Yeah. And, you know, the Amy Grant stuff um, we just had last year was the 30th anniversary of baby big baby. And so we went back and yeah. revisited some of that stuff and, oh, you know, uh, I actually got the masters back and, and had the multi-tracks and, and was weeding through that. And, there were things on there. I'm going, wow, where did that come from? You know, yeah. I didn't even know this was on this song or whatever, you know? <laughs> so I just go, I just, I want to make a difference. I want to be, I, I want people to know my heart and that, that, uh, that I, I would give you the shirt off my back if I could. Um, I just want to help people. I want to be, um, I want to be a blessing. Well, one of the things I do every Saturday, we have a group of folks who've committed to praying for people who have and are making music. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and the months that are in front of us? I appreciate that. Well, I am working on some new ventures and and ways that we can develop a new platform that may be able to help other artists, emerging artists, uh, get their message out there. And so that's to me, the biggest thing for me, that's what I'm facing, is trying to figure out how to get the funding for all of that because it's expensive. VR is incredibly expensive. And so at that point, that's that's what I would say. Just pray for the means to be able to do this in a different way. I sure appreciate Keith's energy and enthusiasm. You can tell that helping people be the best they can be is an important part of who he is. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Are my interactions with other people helping them improve? Are the words that I speak building them up? Do the events on my calendar reflect my priority to be involved in other people? So often for me, it is easy to get entrenched in the day-to-day routines that I miss the opportunities to make space for helping someone out. 
Or heck, even worse, I miss the chance to just hang out and be a friend. Typically, I want my meetings to have a productive agenda where I can tick off a few to-dos and not worry about anything else. But I wonder what it would look like if I set my personal plans aside and focused on investing in the people around me, not making myself better, but helping other people. I'm going to have to think and pray about that one this week, and that's going to be what I encourage you to do as well. As always, thank you for joining me for this conversation today on the Christian Music Archive podcast. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you be willing to rate us on your favorite podcast app? A five-star rating or a review really helps us spread the word about this show. Next week, I'm talking with John Cooper from Skillet, and you definitely do not want to miss this conversation. So be sure to join me every week when I share stories of the people you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. To close things out today, I want to remind you this. God loves you. In fact, He's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. To the guy who invented the zero, thanks for nothing.